It gives me great pleasure today to invite our speaker for today. Hank is uh, well known to most of you. He's one of our church elders. Uh, this week the elders met uh, on Tuesday afternoon, and I just want to reinforce just how much I value their input, their support, their encouragement, but also their challenge. They're learning to ask really, really sharp questions, uh, which is great, and they're holding us as the leadership of the church accountable for the day-to-day uh, in line with the spiritual direction that God's calling the church into. So I just want to honor the elders for that and thank them very much. So why don't you give Hank a real warm welcome as he comes and shares the Word of God with us today. Thanks, guys. So, um, yeah, we're going to sh- talk about the Word of God today. <laughs> a bit in line with what Pastor and Scott were already saying. You know, they, they mentioned, um, you know, invitation, an invitation into God's kingdom. And I thought to myself, it must be from God because that's exactly what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> um, and that helps as a speaker if you prepare, because you always want God to be present in the words that you speak. So today, if you can open your Bible already at Luke 12, or Luke, sorry, Luke 14, verse 12. Today, we're going to talk about the parable of the great banquet, or more aptly called the parable of the great invitation. You know, I just want to look at, uh, at that today. Because I believe there's a lot of truth for us as Christians. But before that, um, I'm going to start with a quote. And it's a quote from my, one of my favorite Christian books. I don't know if you ever heard about, uh, you know, the screw tape letters. I think most people have. Now, it's a, for people that don't know that, it's, a, it's sort of a book, a, a completely crazy book, about <laughs> written by a Christian that is really very insightful in spiritual matters. And it's written, um, you know, about two basically devils or demons or how you want to call them. And they're having a discussion or sort of like a letter correspondence behind the back of a, a person, a young guy that we actually barely see, but we only see him through the letters that they write to each other. And the guy is completely ignorant of what's happening. You know, like these, these two evil ones, they're busy with his uh, spiritual well-being. And they try to get him down to, to, to a level, you know, where he's in their power, basically. What I liked about is how they write about what they call, you know, the messages from the enemy. Now, and for us, the enemy would be, you know, the heavenly forces of Jesus Christ. Now, and although it's not a you know, it's, it's not biblical. It's really a good representation of, you know, what's going on spiritually in our minds. I just want to start with a quote with that because it's really, um, you know, it struck me really much. And, it, you know, in that book, one moment that, that person, uh, screw, um, screw Tape is his name, he says he wants them to learn to walk. He's talking about God. And must therefore take away his hand. And if the only... The will to walk is really there. So if only we have the will to walk, he is pleased, even when the person stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks upon the universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken, but still obeys. And I think to myself, wow, that is what we really want. And that is that invitation of God, that spiritual awakening, that even if we don't sometimes see him in our struggles, 
he is still there and he still obeys. And we're going to read about that. So if you can open your Bible this, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the parable of the great banquet. And we start with Luke 14, verse 12. So he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, so there was one person that, that spoke up, he said, blessed, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But then Jesus spoke. And he said to him, he starts telling a story. A man once gave a great banquet. You know, banquet is a big dinner, you know, like a sort of a you know, big party, basically. Big meals and things. And he invited many. And the time, when the time for the banquet came, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've brought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. With that, Jesus means that his wife told him that he was not allowed to go to the party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> please have me excused. <laughs> In behalf of my wife as well. <laughs> it goes on. So the servant came and reported these things uh, to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and the blind and the lame, all those people. And the servant, he said, sir, I've already done that. You know, he said, sir, what you commanded has been done. And there still is room. There still is room in this house. Everybody's in. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. But the thing before this is beautiful. I, I love that, that he says that my house may be filled. You know, there's really this kind of thing. Let's start in prayer and ask God to be here this morning. Jesus, I just want to thank you, Father, that, um, you know, we may look at your word this morning and your word is so mighty and powerful. And I, I just want to thank you, Father, for these parables, Father, how you show us the deeper insights of what, what's going on in our mind and in our spirit. And I thank you for the love that you're going to show through this, uh, you know, through this message to the people and that it may be challenging, Father, and that your word may be really, really glorified in this place this morning. And I pray, oh Jesus, that you're going to change people this morning, you know, through the power, the majestic power of your word, Father. You know, and I trust you, God, that you're going to do that thing. Because I know that what's, that's what you want. You want to change people here this morning and invite them into a, you know, a more richly, you know, knowing of you. And that's what we want to pray this, this morning in Jesus' name. Is everybody ready to look at the parable? Yeah. Amen. The good things about parables is they have a context. So I want to look at that context first. That's sort of what we call the backstory. 
you know, the back of what happened to, uh, you know, to, this, to, to basically what Jesus was saying. And, you know, this was actually kind of an interesting situation because if I could take you to that room where the, you know, where, where, this, where this meal is taking place, you would see a very, very unusual kind of happening. Because uh, the room where, where it was taking place was filled with Jesus on the one side and on the other side, a lot of, you know, religious leaders from the community. You know, we know them as the Pharisees. And everybody, if they think about a the Pharisee, they know what, you know, they know more or less what we mean because we have an idea about it. But that evening, Jesus was dining with the people that were intended to kill him. Can you imagine that? So that is the, the, the scene, you know, that is the circumstances, you know, for which this, um, you know, this parable is taking place. It's a tense atmosphere. Why is it tense? It is tense because on the one side are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees there, you know, they're basically, they're watching everything Jesus is doing at that space. Uh, how did they watching him? They use bait. What is their bait? They put a cripple just in front of Jesus on the Sabbath. What do they know? They know that Jesus already six times before healed the cripple on the Sabbath. So they put the bait out for Jesus. What does Jesus do? He takes the bait. Why does he take the bait? Because he wants to heal the crippled. <laughs> because that is his calling in life. You know, he just wants to heal and do the work of the Father. So on the one side, you got the Pharisees there sitting in the room. On the other side, you have Jesus. So the Pharisees are watching Jesus in the natural, in their natural ability. You know, pointing their expectations towards the, you know, the standards that they have from the Spirit. You know, they're, they're sort of like their biblical knowledge. And on the other hand, you have Jesus. The beautiful thing about this is that Jesus looks at them, you know, at a completely different level. He looks at them at the spiritual level, while they only can see him at the physical level. And he looks straight into their hearts. And that shows me something. You know, for me, that showed me that we, if we really want to get to know ourselves, we need to allow Jesus to look into our hearts. There is no way that you will ever be able to know your own heart, that you will ever be able to know your own spirit without Jesus assessing that. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's actually looking into their hearts. And what does he see? You know, in the natural, he sees that group of people, then he describes that in this, in this chapter. He sees people that are fighting to get the best seat in front of the table. If he looks at the, the, the you know, if he looks at the, the, the room, he sees a lot of people there and all of them, they look the same. All of them have white robes. All of them have gray hairs. All of them look immaculate, but all of them look the same. And he makes an, a comment about that. You know, he says, where's the, the poor people, you know? Where's the lame, you know? Where's the people that don't deserve it this morning? And they don't answer. So what does he do? He starts to begin with a story. And the story is basically the parable. But before that story, you know, there's something really significant that happens. You know, in those kind of feasts and banquets, there's often some sort of like a, how can you say it, some sort of a token kind of cheers. You know, like, like how we do if we have a, ban a banquet or a party, you know, we have a toast. We say, um, I want to bring this toast to this person in person. Everybody answers that, you know, and that's what people did in that stage as well. Why is that? 
because the banquet to that uh, society was a representation of the great banquet that was still about to come. Does anybody know about the great banquet that still is about to come? Amen. <laughs> Very good. Uh, that's good because like, it's actually written in Isaiah. You know, because every time they had a party, they saw it as a resemblance of the big party in heaven that still is going to take place. And, you know, that big party is described in Isaiah. And it's because it says here, on the mountain of the Lord of hosts, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. That's, that's one of the prophecies from Isaiah. Um, a feast of well-aged wine to rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up the sun in his mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the field that is spread over all nations. So basically he will take away the field of all nations. And he will swallow up death forever. You know what that means, eh? Who swallowed up the death forever? Jesus did that, exactly. And the Lord of God will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Uh, so normally, you know, there would be always somebody in that room, one of the scribes that would speak a toast, and somebody would respond to that. And he would say, normally, and, and that's what he does. He said, blessed is anyone who is seated at the table of God. That's what one of the scribes says. And the room must have been really quiet because at that moment, everybody expects Jesus to respond with the response that normally is given in that situation. And that is, may we be among the righteous that be seated on the table that day. So one person would say one thing and the other person would respond with it. But he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't take that bait. And instead of responding, you know, with the token response that he was expected to do, he actually responds with a parable. And he goes into that parable, which is a beautiful thing. You know, he talks about, you know, a great party that is being done. The great party that is being done is... Um, you know, it, it, it is done like parties are, are usually done in that way, in that day and age. You know, um, who knows, uh, the, the ancient people didn't have any refrigerators. So, you know, you couldn't just give a party on the spot and invite everybody. You had to first invite them. And then after you've invited them, you would have to sort of like tell them that the party was now ready to start. So what does the person do? He was wanting to get that commitment. And invitations go out. Go out to all the people that he wanted to invite. And if you would invite, or if you would accept such an invitation, you would be duty-bound to go to that party. Because, um, because the guy needs to know how many animals to slaughter. He does need to know when to prepare the food. And it would be, socially, it would be very, very rude if you wouldn't come to the party at that time. So, like, what actually happens is, when the food is ready, the person, his servant, goes to the people that were invited. And, um, you know, we'll see at that stage, 
he goes there and, and the people start giving excuses. And the Bible actually said there is none of the persons that were invited that actually wanted to come to the party. And, you know, we see that um, there's excuses that they have. You know, one of them says, I just bought a piece of land. Another person says, I bought five oxen and I need to check them out. Another person says, I have a wife <laughs> and my wife doesn't want me to come. <laughs> and it is like... Um, it is like very interesting to see that because to us as 21st century people, it is pretty, yeah, we would say, oh yeah, cool, you got a party, but then uh, you can't come because you bought, uh, you know, you bought something on Trade Me and you, and you need to check it out. <laughs> and that's just how it works, guys. Because like, you know, it's really cool, you know, thanks for inviting, but uh, I'm just going to give the miss this time. And then later, you know, like later, then we will see what happens. And uh, um, I promise next time when you invite me for a party, I will come. But actually, this is absolutely not how it went. What was the issue here? You know, if you look at those excuses, they're not really excuses. Why are they not excuses? Because they're, they, they can't be true, essentially. Like in that culture, if you bought a field or you bought a plot of land, you couldn't actually buy it without physically having seen it. Because the whole process of buying a piece of land means you go there to see what it's worth. You go to the elders of the tribe, you negotiate. So you would never do that. So essentially what the guy is saying is, I just don't want to come. Now secondly, you know, the next one is said I bought... You know, like I bought these five yokes of oxen and I need to check them out. Which basically means uh, I bought five cars on Trade Me and I have to see if they actually drive. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. So this, uh, this person actually, it's not even an excuse. It's just sort of, I don't want to come. And the guy, I, do, I don't even want to talk about the guy <laughs> with the wife. <laughs> Because he just sort of like, um, you know, you know when you're going to have a marriage. You know when you're going to have a wedding. And you should know that. And he already could have told why he didn't want to come. So actually, nobody wants to come. And that's why it's not really about excuses. But it's really about uh, the heart of people and the desires of people that they're having. So what does the, um, the owner of the house do? I mean, what would we do? I think if nobody would come to our party, sad as we are, <laughs> what would we do? We would say, ah, it's more lemon slice for us. <laughs> that is actually a good thing because I actually can now do something else <laughs> this evening. I will give a party the next time. And if the guys still don't want to come, suits them, <laughs> whatever. I'm going to cancel my party and I will tell them, I will show them, or I'm going to have a party all by myself, even better. <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't, he didn't do that. He went angry. He was very, very, very upset. And we're going to look at that later also. But he didn't cancel his party. Why didn't he cancel his party? Because he said, my house must be full. Out of that speaks a deep conviction of the living God. That his house must be full. And what does he do? 
he invites people. He invites more people. And the, and the precious, the rich, all the, the glorious people have already been invited, but they declined. They just didn't show up. They did have excuses that were not even excuses. So what does he do? He sends his servant to the streets. And who does he get? He gets the lame. He gets the poor. He gets the cripples. He gets the blind. And what do we know about those people? We knew that the blind were able to see by Jesus. We know that the people who were deaf could hear. We know that the cripple and the lame could walk by Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. And I thought to myself, why is that? Why do those people get invited? Why did they accept? Well, I think the, the thing is, if we look at why those people were accepted, is because a blind person can't survey a piece of land. And, and a crippled person is not able to, to buy some set of oxes because he can't walk. And, and, and a, a person who is poor, he wouldn't even be able to sit with the rich. So those people that were get in the second instance, they didn't even have an excuse. They were just so incredibly happy to be there. And still the house was not full. There was still more place on the seats of the banquet. And that is the beauty of it. There is, you know, the invitation that Pastor talked about, there's always more place at the banquet. And I just love that for Jesus, that he does that. You know, those people, they didn't have an excuse and they came in the end of the day to sit. I mean, it led me to, you know, to look at this story from the perspective of the different characters that were involved in the story. And I, I find it hugely interesting because each character in a parable has its own journey. And it goes its own way and it has its own struggles and its own kind of like, you know, how can I say, challenges. And if you look at the, you know, if you look at the man there, the, the, you know, the owner of the house, expect how he feels. You know, this owner of the house has set up the most lavish banquet that you can imagine. He's invited everybody, all the rich and all the people. And in the end of the day, two hours before you made your, your party, people start going off. The phone starts going. You know, people start calling off. Oh yeah, this, I can't come, I can't come. This is happening, this is happening. You know, there would be this sense of frustration. You know, so different from the incredible meal that he's made and the response to it. And it would have been so righteous for him to leave it there. To say, listen guys, you've rejected me. You guys have all rejected me. You guys, you seek out for yourself what you want to do with the rest of your lives. Don't count on me anymore. You know, I had enough of you guys. Wouldn't have been like a justified thing to do for a person that makes such a big banquet. But he doesn't do that. He says, my house is still empty. I still want to fill it with people. And it shows the incredible desire that God has to wanting, you know, to reach you this, um, this morning to him. He doesn't want to have an empty house. Now, if we take the perspective of those other people, those people that declined it, you know, I think 
what I see them doing is they made the choice, the choice that they preferred at that stage. They preferred things that are temporal towards, you know, the eternal at that stage. You know, he, they had that sense, basically, there was a sense in that thing that they were valuing, you know, their own benefit more than others. And there was a lack of being not able to see the bigger perspective of things. And I think when I see in my own life a lot of times, you know, when I fall, it is because I can't see that bigger perspective of things. I can't see that purpose anymore. But God, he invites everybody. And that is the thing that I want to see. So Jesus was assessing in that room. He was assessing the Pharisees. And he was looking straight into their hearts. And he was also, you know, he was looking for certain things. He was looking for certain things that we basically, you know, that, that, that we can, you know, that we can give basically. Or that he wants to see in us. So, while being rejected in that party, he was still looking for people that would show him that kind of spiritual mindset, what he was looking for. And he found that in the people that were poor and were needy, but nevertheless were willing, you know, to obey him. And I, I like that. So what I'm seeing here is that the word of God always provokes a spiritual response in the hearers. So when you look at me now, for instance, you might assess what I'm saying. You might look at my shirt this morning. You might think about my accent this morning. But while you're listening to me, what I'm saying, God looks in your heart how your response is like. So by assessing me and my words, he is assessing you at the moment. Because whenever the word of God is spoken, God looks for a specific response. And I love that because it's an invitation. And he's looking, you know, throughout the world for those people that really accept it. So what does he look for? In this, in this story, I think he looks for, you know, two things actually. And I want to sh uh, shortly look at that and sort of wrap up this, uh, you know, this, um, uh, this, this sermon in that way. He looks at uh, what I would call, he looks at the hunger and he looks at the humility in the people. So why does he look at the hunger? He looks for people that really want to be able to be at that party. So how did it went? If you get the second invitation that morning or that evening when the party was ready, you put aside everything that you needed to do. You put aside your work, you put aside your family, you put aside everything and you went to the banquet. So when he, a person would accept it, he would put everything beside and he would just do one thing. He would go to that banquet. And that was the only thing that he wanted to do. And the second thing that I see there was humility. So what is humility? Like humility for me is being able, you know, to put your own plans and your own things and put it basically, you know, make it submissive to the will of God. And what is hunger? Hunger is actually wanting to know that will of God. Maybe to explain it again. These people that were part of the banquet, they were not only hungry for God, 
They wanted nothing more than to be part of that banquet. They were all so humble. They were willing to accept that invitation without delay. And I believe that a lot of times when, you know, when in our lives things go wrong, we need to go back to the drawing board and we need to see those two things. And there's a big promise if we do so. And I want to just talk very, very um, shortly about, you know, a text from 1 Peter that we've seen. It's 1 Peter 2. And Peter, he must be describing this kind of uh, thing from the other side. So Jesus, he actually puts forward, looks forward to the banquet where he will be, you know, where, uh, where basically he will be um, given as a sacrifice. But in 1 Peter 2, he, Peter actually looks back on that sacrifice. And he mentions those two things there. He says, like newborn infants, look for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But here is the mighty thing, and this is the promise for God, for all of us. And it says here in 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You know, let that lie in your spirit for a while. You know, that promise that God has given to us, you know, this morning. You know, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, there's such beauty in, in being part of the banquet. I mean, the, the thing is what we often don't understand, what we fail to see is that we part of that spiritual house, you know, that we built into a royal priesthood. So one of the things that God spoke to me when I was preparing this sermon was about the royal banquet. There is still, you know, like an, you know, future sense in the spiritual banquet. That means it points towards a time that, you know, we're not going to be sitting in this building anymore, but we're actually going to be sitting in that banquet. Are you guys excited about that? <laughs> I let you go through all this the theological discussion and debates. But this is what it all comes down to. You know, we're not going to sit here forever in this cold room, you know, with the cold outside and, you know, sitting here temporarily. We're going to be sitting, you know, at a banquet at the table of living God. And we're going to be, we, we call to do that. But what God spoke to me, and that's the beauty of it is that sometimes, just sometimes, little crumbs of bread are already falling down from that heavenly banquet down on earth. And it is that little crumbs of bread that 
although they're so meaningless in the eyes of many, for us as Christians, they're the most beautiful things that we have ever seen. And that is how God's banquet and promises shine, you know, true to the here and now in the moment where we're sitting. And I, I just love that. I just love the fact. So this text, there's this craving. There's a craving for spiritual milk. Because once you've tasted the spiritual milk, you will never be thirsty again, is what Jesus says. And there's this willingness, this, this sort of humility that we can show to be part of that building of spiritual stones. But there's a promise. And the promise is that we will be laid into a spiritual, a spiritual priesthood. Like called to sacrifice for God. And I just love that. You know, they'd love that to see. There's such a great encouragement in that. You know, so as if you keep coming to Christ, eventually you're built into a spiritual temple. And that is the temporal thing. So we have that banquet that we call to be in heaven. And that is the banquet that we call to every single day that we're living. This morning was another chance, you know, to accept Jesus Christ. And there's another blessing in the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And there's another couple of crumbs that fall, you know, from the heavenly banquet if we see it. And I just love that. And there's such a deep encouragement in those words. You know, so my, my message this morning for you guys is there's a big invitation. And there's a banquet in heaven. But already we're called to be part of that banquet. And already we are called to share in, in the great love of God this morning. And I just want to compel people that are struggling this morning. You know, I want to compel especially people that might have been listening this morning a lot of times to the, you know, to the, to the temporal kind of things in their heart. You know, have been listening instead of to... You know, to Jesus, you might have been listening, you know, to other things this morning. You know, things in the world, things maybe in yourself. But the, this, this banquet story shows such a great promise of acceptance. And it shows that as long as we keep craving for that, you know, that part on the table. You know, as long as we keep listening to Jesus, you know, and not to the rejection that sometimes we feel in ourselves. If we be partakers of the rejection that Christ had, that we will be accepted like he was accepted, you know, by his father. What pastor talked about, that eternal covenant between God and the Son. And I just want to compel you, just how the landowner compelled you. He didn't give people a flyer. He really wanted to compel people to come to the meal. God is always looking to search you. He's always searching you. And he searched you that by compelling people in the street to come to that banquet. And I just, I just pray, I just want to pray that, that this morning, you know, if you, you know, if you don't know God in that way, or maybe, you know, you knew God in that way, but you sort of, you know, you don't see him that way anymore in, in, in that connection, that you will, you know, choose again to be a partaker of that table. And, it might be that if you feel that rejection, just like how, you know, the, 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 the person that organized that party feels, feels that rejection, that you will see by this text, and maybe encouraged, that you still, 
you know, a partaker of the table. And that if there's, you know, that humility and that craving for God's word, that he is willing to supply and to provide in his endless love. And I just want to glorify God with this. I, I, I just want to finish in, you know, a prayer and then, um, you know, give the word back to pastor. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just want to thank you this, uh, this morning that you're so willing to accept us, Father. And that you're so willing to, um, you know, to meet with us. And I just want to thank you, Father, that, uh, you know, you can speak so much through this, this parable to me and to others. And that, you know, you never want an empty house. You always want a full house of people. A living house, spiritual house built on stones. And I just pray, Father, that, you know, you will change people's hearts this morning. That they may, like, have a new refreshing way of craving for your word. And that they may show a new refreshing way, Father, of willingness to be built into this building of stones. And I just pray, Father, that they will be able to see you this morning. See you in what you are, loving God and willing to accept people. Always willing to meet them to the extent that you compel them to be part of, 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 of your plan. And I just thank you, Jesus, for, uh, you know, what you've done in, in, in the lives of people, in the lives of this church. In Jesus' name, we say, amen. Thanks for listening, guys. That's good. Why don't you um, stand as we finish? We're going to just uh, receive blessing of God. You can't listen to the Word of God and not, well, you shouldn't listen to the Word of God and not be convicted. So the question is, as we close, is what is God saying to you this morning? You know, this message is great. It's very timely. It's powerful. Just this week, I asked the elders a question. I said to the elders, do the people see Sunday as their day or the Lord's day? And we discussed that. But Jesus has already discussed it. He's already shown us the invitation. May he lead us in response to him. Almighty God, I thank you again for your holy scriptures that show us your love made available before we were even created. Before the foundation of time, you loved us, you provisioned for our forgiveness, and you destined us to live with you. God, give us the strength to respond to the conviction this morning that you have invited us to participate in this feast of relationship with you. Let us not turn away because of land or oxen, or celebration. Let us not turn away because of family or preference or comfort, but let us put aside our personal preference and humility to respond to you, to say yes to you in every moment of your invitation. Lord, that we would not cease to dwell together as family in unity, but that we would come together as often as we can to celebrate what you have done for us, to celebrate who you are before us, and to celebrate what we can experience in the life you've given us. Lord, as these ones go, I bless them. I bless them with the love of God, the Father of all creation. Lord, I bless them with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that they would know God dwells in them and with them every moment in every aspect of their lives that they are never alone. And Lord, I bless them with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace upon grace, grace abounding in glory, that this grace would enable us to do those things we cannot do in our own strength. This grace gives us unmerited favor that we could stand before you righteous 
and redeemed by Jesus himself. Lord, may we live in this grace, a revelation of this grace and your love to others around us. So Lord, I bless the church. In Jesus' name, amen.